Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, choir. Thank our praise team. Thank all of you. You know, I want to thank those that are back in our sound booth in here, running the screens, fixing the sound, getting the mics going. And then behind the wall, you never see those behind the wall. There's three, I think three, sometimes four behind the wall. And they're doing all the cameras, and they got their sound system in there to make sure people on YouTube and Facebook are getting sound to them. And so there's a lot going on back there, and, and I really appreciate them. Just let them know you appreciate them. Do that. You know, really, we never call attention to them unless we say, can you turn it up a little, or can you turn it down? That's the only thing they hear from time to time, but... They do a lot, and, and really keep us on the air, and, and you never see behind that wall. We're going to bring them out one day, and just uh, we'll, let them know. <laughs> we'll let them know the day when that happens. But anyway, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We want to look at Matthew chapter 7, familiar passage of Scripture, familiar verse, and then we want to look at John chapter 3, another familiar verse. And so, But we'll start off with um, Matthew and we'll look at Matthew chapter 7, and I want to share with you in a sermon that I've entitled, Heed the Warning. You got that uh, little sign you can throw up there, Ashley? There you go. You know, and, and the reason, heed the warning, it's, it's uh, a warning. It's, it's in yellow. It's caution. You need to be careful. You need to heed this warning. So Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, you've heard this warning before, and it would be good for us to hear it again. So Matthew 7, verse 21, 23, and look at that verse. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me, Jesus is speaking, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then if you will, turn over to John chapter 3, another familiar passage. John chapter 3, and we want to look at verse uh, Nicodemus, verse 3 through verse three through 7. Well, let's look at verse 1. It's on the screen. Verse 1. And put everything in context. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees. Now, that's a religious group, one religious group. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, 
he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity we have to come together, Lord, to worship you today and then to just praise you in hymns and praise songs. Thank you for our children, Lord, who are learning your word and memorizing your word. Thank you for them sharing this morning. We've had a great time in our worship time. And now, Lord, we've opened your word and we pray now that you will speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will teach us and guide us during this time. And then at the appropriate time, Father, I pray that we'd come forth with any decision that you have led us to make. Thank you for what you're going to do in our time together. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 21 through 23. That records perhaps some of the saddest words that you'll ever hear spoken in the Bible or that you'll ever read in the Bible. Note the statement was made to religious people of that day. Jesus speaking to religious people, people who had every intention of going to heaven. They were very religious, and they had every intention of going to heaven. You know, most people today are intending to go to heaven. If you ask people, when you die, where are you going to go? And they say, well, I hope I'm going to heaven, or maybe I'm going to heaven. There's a little doubt there, but if you're a believer, you can say, well, surety, I'm going to heaven when I die. But most people are intending to go to heaven. I don't believe I've ever spoken to anyone who's intending just to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven. So the point is he's not speaking to, he's not speaking to a, a, a bunch of a group of drunkards or prostitutes or homosexuals or drug addicts or, or fornicators. Jesus is addressing the religious but lost crowd. Jesus is saying that there are a number of people who go through all the rituals of religion, but they're lost. And so the question this morning is, have you been born again? Have you been truly redeemed? Have you been truly saved? You need to answer that question this morning. You need to answer it truthfully. If it's truthfully yes, that's great, praise the Lord. If not, if you say, no, I haven't been saved, I'm, I'm lost. If I die, I know I'll go to hell. Then you need to listen to this very closely today because when you leave here, you can leave here a changed person if you allow the Lord to work in your life. And so this morning, have you been born again, truly redeemed, truly saved? Or to put it another way, are you, are, are you a part of that many mentioned there in verse 22 that will hear the words from Jesus, depart from me, I never knew you. And so this, this is a very serious matter. It's been estimated that perhaps 50% of Americans identify themselves as born-again Christians. But on the basis of God's description of true believers and of the fact that few come on God's terms, it's hard to believe that 50% of the church members are true believers. Therefore, what does the statement that Jesus, what's the statement that Jesus is implying in Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he implying with that statement? 
Well, I've jotted down three points of a little outline. You can jot these down. Point number one, if you're taking notes, <clears throat> the statement implies the possibility of being deceived. There are a lot of people deceived today. They're intending to go to heaven, but the, at the end, they'll find out that their intentions were wrong. You know, the worst type of deception is self-deception. The point is, some have deceived themselves in regards to their salvation. Now, how does that come about? I'm going to mention four ways that people deceive themselves in being saved when they're really not saved. The first is, you may be deceived if you refuse to examine yourselves in regards to your salvation. You need to take this time this morning and examine yourself in regards to your salvation. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 13, verse 5 says this, uh, 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith, test yourselves, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? So this morning, test yourself. Ask yourself, have I truly asked Christ to come into my life and save me? Am I dependent on Jesus and him alone for my salvation? Or am I dependent on Jesus and some other things for my salvation? And so some may be deceived simply because they refuse to examine themselves. Paul says, test yourselves. Do you recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? So friend, this morning, just look at your heart. Look deep at the inner motives and the desires of your heart. Are, you, are they set toward God and his holiness? So the point is, even the weakest Christian has pure leadings in their heart for righteousness. You may be a new Christian. You may have not been a Christian for a week or a month or a year. But you have these pure leadings in your heart for righteousness. You want to do good. You want to do righteousness. You want to be pleasing to God. That's in your heart. And so when you become a Christian, you have those leadings to do righteousness. And if you're not concerned about having your present sins uh, forgiven, that's another way that you can be deceived in thinking that you're a Christian when you're not. Point number two. If you're not concerned about having your present sins forgiven, or having your present sins cleansed. And so that's a good reason to doubt that your past sins are forgiven. If you're not concerned about the sins in your life right now, that's reason to think you, your past sins were not forgiven. Meaning that if a person is habitually, willfully practicing sin without any remorse, without any conviction, without any repentance, regardless of of the experience that they claim they may have had, that's a, good, that's a good indication that that person has never been saved. If they continually, habitually practice sin, if they're not worrying about their sin today, more than likely they didn't truly confess their sins in the past. God's Word says this. Look at 1 Corinthians. Jot this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, 
nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, and such were some of you, but now you've been saved. And so he's, he listed a group of people or characteristics that they lived out in their life. He says, you'll never experience the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, I think pretty well says the same thing. Chapter 5, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so God is going to deal with those characteristics that he mentioned in the lives of so many people. God says anyone who continues to practice sin does not belong to him. Does not belong. And that's not what I say. You know, someone, we were, I was talking with a person the other day, and... and um, and they were sharing with a couple that was in a, a situation, and they were living together and had lived together. And, and uh, the lady confronted them and said, hey, you need to go ahead and get married. And they said, are you judging me? I'm not judging anyone. I'm just sharing what God's word says. This is God's word. This is not my word. You know, this is his word. It's to us, it's to, God, it's to people, it's to the people of God, and it's to people in general. So God says, anyone who continues practicing sin does not belong to me. That's not, say, that's not something that I say. I'm reading it from God's Word. 1 John chapter 3, look at that if you will. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. Whosoever abides in him does not sin. That doesn't mean you're... You're sinless, that means you don't habitually live in sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. If you habitually live in a sinful life, then you have never known God. Little children, let no one deceive you. Verse 7, he who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever or whoever has been born of God does not sin, meaning does not habitually live in sin. For his seed, God's seed, remains in him and he cannot sin, cannot habitually live in sin because he has been born of God. Now that's simple. That's pretty plain. And so you may have been deceived, third, for reasons of self-deception in that you have an excessive focus on religious activities. Now, uh, when I was thinking of that, uh, this is what I mean by that. You may have focused on religious activities. You may have missed the new birth altogether, and you've just focused on religious things, religious activities such as attending church. You believe if you just, you just go to church that you're going to be saved one day? Does going to church, is, does that bring salvation? Ah, what about giving to charity? That's a good thing to do, but that won't bring salvation. Going to conferences, that won't, you can listen to conference leader after conference leader, but that won't bring salvation. Hearing sermons, people today are tuning in, perhaps hopefully, and hearing sermons, and God will convict them of something they need to do in their life to give their heart and life to Christ. But just hearing sermons are not going to save you. Being baptized is not going to save you. The Lord's Supper, partaking the Lord's Supper, that's not going to save you. Christian music, people listen to Christian music. I went into 
an ice cream place the other day, and I said, I like your music. And she said, well, thank you. I have a lot of comments. They're playing Christian music, but just listening to Christian music won't save you. Giving money to the church, that won't save you. It's a nice thing to do, but that won't save you. All of those things have their place. Attending church has its place. Baptism has its place. Going to church has its place. Hearing sermons, Lord's Supper, Christian music, all of that has its place, but none of that will save you. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. It's him and him alone. If you fail to trust in Jesus, you've missed, you've missed heaven altogether. You may be a good person. You may have done all these things. And doing all of these religious activities, knowing at the same time that you've never been born again. So don't be deceived by being focused just on excessive religious activity. If you do, you'll miss heaven without Jesus. And the fourth reason for self-deception of salvation, let me give you one more, and that's the fair exchange principle. The fair exchange principle. Brother Samuel, what's that? Well, the fair exchange principle is when you're trying to balance good and evil. If you think you can do all this good and it'll offset the evil you've done, and one day you're going to go to heaven because you've done more good than you've done evil, that's the fair exchange principle. A lot of people believe in the general judgment or in a general judgment where there's just going to be one resurrection and we'll all come forth from the grave. And God has said, okay, and he'll weigh everybody's goodness and weigh everybody's sin. And if you've, if you've done a lot of good and you've done less evil, then you go to heaven. He'll say, okay, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to hell, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven. And that Bible doesn't teach a general judgment. And so that's that fair exchange principle. When you're trying to balance good and evil, this is when a person's relationship you know, they, they're in that relationship, they begin to recognize salvation, their salvation by, uh, by thinking that, that good things they do balance out the bad things that they do. And so, does my good outweigh the bad? They believe that the positive cancels the negative, And that's that fair exchange principle. And so... They believe in that general judgment. So apart from God, none of us are good. Apart from God, the Bible says that, that none of us are good. Romans chapter 3, verse 12 says this. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. There's not a good person in this room. There's no, no one good apart from Christ. Uh, it's, it's through Christ that we're able to do anything that we would say would be good. So Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That statement implies the possibility of being deceived because we refuse to examine ourselves. We're not concerned about our present-day sin. We're, we have this excessive focus on religious activity, and we practice this fair exchange principle where we try to balance good with evil. But there's something else. Number two, the statement implies that there are hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Now, hypocrites are those who, who know that they're lost and they're trying to fool everyone. And Jesus had to deal with hypocrites. And you'll always have hypocrites. If you wait till there's no hypocrites in the church to attend church, well, then you'll never go to church. 
You have, do we have hypocrites in our church? Sure we have hypocrites. There's hypocrites everywhere. That word hypocrite comes from a Greek word which means mask or to play act. So a hypocrite is someone who's pretending or acting like something that they're not. That's a hypocrite. Now, it may be frightening, really, to know the number of people that are here today who are really not themselves because they have, they're, they're behind a mask. They're behind a mask, a mask, they have a mask for their work, they have a mask for school, they have a mask for their parents, they have a mask for their children, they're hiding all this stuff, and they're pretending. That's a hypocrite. They know that they're lost, but they'd rather wear a mask than to acknowledge that they're a sinner and they need salvation. They just stay behind that mask, pretending that everything's right between them and God. And so the point is, the hypocrite substitutes grace the grace of God for a mask, for a mask. They pretend. Matthew 23, 1 through 3, and I'm almost finished. Matthew 23, 1 through 3. Look at this for you for just a moment. And Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, he'd already called them hypocrites before. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but notice this, but do not according to their works, for they say and they do not. They say one thing and they do something else. The, the hypocrite will say, well, I love the Lord. And Jesus said, well, if you love me, keep my commandments. A person will say, well, I believe in the Great Commission. I believe we need to witness all over the world. What they say is one thing, but what they do is different. The hypocrite would say, I believe that you should go to church. But what they say is good, but what they do is different. The hypocrite would say, I think you should forgive people. Because the Bible says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you of your trespasses. If you don't forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father won't forgive your trespasses. What they say is good, but what they do is different. And then they'll say, well, I believe you should give the tithe. I believe you should tithe. That's what, the, that's what the Bible teaches. But what they say is good, but what they do is different. That's a hypocrite. Saying one thing, doing something different. So a hypocrite may fool their family. They may fool their preacher. They may fool their spouse. They may fool their friends and fellow students. But they'll never fool God. God knows our heart. And I'd rather, if I was a hypocrite, I'd rather walk down an aisle and confess, I've been a hypocrite, y'all. I've been a hypocrite. I'd rather do that than to hide behind a mask and one day not be able to do anything about it. I can remember several that uh, been in our church and they would come and confess. I remember uh, Barbara, I remember John. John Mason, your dad, confessed to me. And he was a deacon in our church. And I remember the day John got saved. I can remember uh, a lady that came down. She said, Brother Sammy, I've been a member of this church for 43 years. Now I want to be a Christian. That's, that's a hypocrite. Pretending to be something for 43 years and then say, hey, I'm tired of it. I want to be a Christian. 
That's the hypocrite. So, I'll just close with this question. Have you been born again? Have you been saved? Has there ever been a time in your life that you humbled your heart and said, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you came and you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn from my sins. I'm turning to you and I'm trusting in you. I'm placing my faith in you and nothing else and no one else. And I ask you to forgive me and come into my life and save me. Have you been saved? Secondly, are you religious but lost? Religious but lost. Have you deceived yourself by refusing to examine yourself or not concerned about your present day sin or focused on religious activity for your salvation or try to balance good and evil or pretending this fair exchange principle where good outweighs the bad and because I've done more good than bad, I'm going to go to heaven. You're deceiving yourself and you're going to die in this heaven altogether. But you know what? You can leave here today and know that you're a Christian. You can know that you're saved because through God's word. You can know it by God's word because 1 John 5.13 simply says this. These things I've written unto you that you may know that I'm... These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So you can know today through God's word the Lord's given you this entire book, so that you can know that you're saved. And you can know you're saved through the witness of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And through personal examination of our lives, let me ask you this, do you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to look at verse... Um, Verse 19, I believe, Ashley. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16, I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and they're contrary one to another, so that you do not know the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath and selfish ambitions and dissensions and heresies and envy and murder and drunkenness and revelries and the like, of which I tell you before just also, uh, just as I also told you in time past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also Walk in the Spirit. And so is the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in your life. Are the fruit of uh, the works of the flesh exhibited in your life? 
And so take the warning. Take the warning. Heed the warning. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of the Father, which is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity we have to, we've had to come into your presence. And I thank you for each person here. And God, you've made it pretty plain today. And you've given a warning today. And I hope all people everywhere within the sound of my voice, those that are here, those on Facebook, those YouTube, have had an opportunity to examine themselves. And Father, some may have been deceived by the number of ways that I've mentioned this morning and pointed out through Scripture that it can happen. But Father, I pray for those who are willing to step forward because of a desire to have eternal life, to have their sins forgiven, knowing that today their sins can be erased. They can be, they can be a different person. They can be a changed person. Oh, they may look the same on the outside, but something will take place on the inside when they ask you to forgive them, come into their life and save them. Turn them from sin, turn into a Savior by the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for every person here, those viewing it by other means. And I pray, Lord, today, people wherever, Lord, will humble their heart, trust you and only you for their salvation. You've given us warning today. This may be the final warning for some. I don't know, but Lord, right now your Spirit's drawing some here or in other places to give their heart and life to you today, to, to, uh, to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came and he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and on the third day he arose again, being victorious over sin, victorious over the grave. He ascended to the Father, and one day he's coming back again, and it could be at any time. Lord, to call the body of Christ up to be with him forever and forever and forever. I hope no one misses that trip. Lord, today they can, they can know for sure they have a home in heaven if they would give their heart and life to you, and I pray they will. Lord, I pray they'll come as your spirit draws them. I pray they'll come. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, again, I want to thank you for viewing our worship service. If you'd like to know how you could come to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, please feel free to contact our church at the address listed. We also encourage you to visit our website. Thank you, and may God bless you.